Welcome back to another edition of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm joined by Sounder at Heart's Tim Foss and, of course, uh, Mickey Turner. Thanks for uh, taking the time, guys. I think uh, we're finally getting to the point where some stuff might happen. Uh, <laughs> there's been a couple rumors uh, tied to the Sounders. They, of course, had their draft today. Um, and, you know, let's, let's just start with the draft. Uh, the Sounders made two picks. Both of them are internationals. Uh, they both actually seem kind of intriguing on paper in that they are, you know, it's like an, a, an attack-minded left back and then a, uh, a midfielder who comes from Germany who, whose numbers suggest that maybe he, he fell, and if he did fall, it was probably because he is apparently under contract with the USL Championship team, <laughs> which was an interesting nugget that uh, Garth uh, – dropped during the the conference call with reporters today uh i missed some of that did, did he get into many details on that uh mickey yeah yeah i'll uh, i'll focus on that and uh let you guys talk about the uh players specifically but yeah uh their second round pick uh their second second round pick uh and uh, uh timo is his first name and uh, i can't remember his uh, second name Melik, i think is Melik, yeah uh he is apparently according to garth under contract with the usl side and this is something that apparently is increasingly happening um, and over the last couple of years with these, you know, again, we all know that the draft itself has decreased in relevance over the past four or five years, although you can still find a couple of good players here and there. But a lot of these players are either being signed direct to uh, MLS affiliates or they're just signing with USL sides after going through training with this, uh, with the, with the first teams. But increasingly, I think some of these guys are just, uh, just taking a look at the landscape and saying, I'm not likely to find a spot on a first team right off the bat. So I'm just going to go sign with an independent squad, uh, work my way from there. I work my way in from the start of training there. And then if I can improve my stock, then yeah, maybe I can get sold down the line. So, Apparently, that's what's happened with Timo, uh, who has signed with an undisclosed USL uh, side. And uh, Garth said in the conference call that uh, we just got off the, the phone with him about is the Sounders aren't likely to need him right away. And he obviously hasn't proven himself uh, ready for a first-team contract right away. So he's going to go down and sign with, the, with uh, the USL squad, play with them. And if he shows he's ready, uh, then the Sounders will work out something down the line to uh, to bring him into the first team. Now, whether that means that they have to pay his USL side a transfer fee, that's kind of the typical process uh, for these things when you want to go, go sign a prospect. Uh, but that's kind of where he stands. He will not be in uh, training camp with the team. He will be with his USL side uh, as they start up their season. Um, so the Sounders, uh, as it is, are now down to uh, one draft pick with another to come on uh, next week. Yeah, it, it, it seemed to me that the Sounders kind of took this attitude, and I, it's hard to blame them, that this is all about upside. And even though, you know, both of these players are right off the bat or somewhat uh, unattractive in that they take up international roster spots, uh, the, Danny Reynolds is the, the player they drafted from UNC Wilmington, and he's British. Uh, you, you can see that at least – like, you know, we'll see what they we have here. It, you know, you could – it's a little easier to justify maybe bringing uh, this Reynolds guy to the defiance if they – I guess there's also uh, international limitations there. 
but left back, what can you tell us about the left back situation at, at Defiance, Tim? Uh, the left back situation at Defiance currently is pretty much uh, Nick Hines, who is a Sounders Academy product. He played for a little bit at Akron, uh, had sort of gone back and forth between being a left back and a sort of central attacking mid. Uh, but since coming to Defiance, especially last season, he really like has been cemented as the left back down there. He was one of the, I think, played the second most games for Tacoma. I think he played 27 hmm. games last season. Uh, and really, I mean, based on the positions that he'd play, you would expect him to be pretty capable going forward, but really was working on and developing his defensive side of the game and really, I think, over the course of the season, grew into that position. Uh, the team does have a couple other like younger guys still in the academy who have played in that spot when Hines was not there. Uh, I know... Alex Villanueva has played there, and he, I think with the academy, is more of like a winger, but played at left back. Um, Sosa Kitahara has played more at right back than left back, but is typically a midfielder who probably could play that spot as well. And so is, is Hines a player who might be in line for a serious look for, for you know, maybe not necessarily first team minutes, but potentially a first-team contract during training camp? I think he definitely could be, especially, I mean, if they, you know, didn't necessarily seem totally sold on Jones at left back last season and played him in the midfield a lot. Uh, if he is going to be in the midfield and they don't feel super sure about Nuhu, I think there's definitely a scenario where Hines gets signed to a an MLS deal. I don't know that he's necessarily MLS ready right now, but I don't know that he's too far from being there. Uh, so I think Reynolds certainly could see a real opportunity playing at Tacoma. Actually, when I talked uh, with Garth at this time last year, his training season, uh, training camp was about to open. I asked him about Hines and he definitely said, you know, he wasn't ready at that point and everything we saw last year, uh, you know, I'm sure borne out that uh, assessment. Um, and so, my guess is that, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit when we talk about what Garth had to say about CBA, is that uh, they're going to have a lot of defiance guys with the first team uh, working, uh, you know, training with them and seeing if any of them can impress. Because, uh, you know, if one of them do impress, and obviously that's someone you can sign at a very cheap rate and which helps your, your salary budget numbers. Um, and so they're going to give uh, those guys every opportunity to see if they can impress, uh, especially at this first part of training camp, um, while the Sounders try to, you know, fill out their roster. Yeah, one of the other things Gardeth mentioned is that I guess there's seven spots on the MLS roster that are effectively reserved for under 24 players, and and the Sounders only have three of those spots currently filled, uh, I guess, by Danny, Danny Leva, Alfonso Acampo-Chavez, and I, I – guess knew who would be the other one um or Buana, maybe or Buana, maybe maybe yeah i guess Buana was probably would probably be the other one but anyway there's four spots that are open for uh for younger players to to potentially earn a spot uh, at least four spots i should say uh so that's you know or i guess well i wonder if muse is counts as that one of those two 
Um, but anyways, they, they say they had, he said they had three and they have four open. So, um, however that shakes out, um, but in any case, there's probably three or four spots available for, for younger players. And that'll be an interesting thing. Uh, you know, he, he alluded to this and, or he said this directly, I should say that the CBA, uh, being so unsettled, the Sounders have not really made any significant signings this, this off season, this last this week it was announced that harry ship had been resigned but that deal was done back in december we had reported on it and that's an internal uh resigning it's not from somebody acquired from outside so i don't even know if you can count that right no exactly the the one player they brought in from outside the organization is stefan cleve or yes stefan cleveland uh who i actually just wrote a story that basically makes the case that this was their big move for the draft i mean this was essentially the player that they traded their first round pick to acquire. Uh, they seem to be pretty high on his potential, at least as far as backups go. And, you know, if the Sounders can get a backup goalkeeper out of the draft, I suppose that's a, you know, all things considered, that's a, uh, you have to consider that a success given the standards of, uh, of what the draft is these days, especially when you're picking in the twenties or lower. Oh, hundred percent. Uh, you know, just, you know, if you can get anything of any value at the late rounds or the late part of the draft, anything really beyond the, you know, the, what the fifth or sixth pick is, right. a, is a crap shoot these days. I think the last, you know, great draft was, you know, uh, the one that Gressel was in. There was a, a lot of great players that came out of that draft and, you know, Atlanta got Gressel like number seven. Um, and so at this point, I mean, I, uh, I think you wrote a piece, uh, Jeremiah, that uh, Hassani Dotson, I think, was uh, probably the best late player that's recently been taken right um but save for him that you know his draft wasn't wasn't particularly great especially in the late round so if you can get a finished or reasonably finished product uh or at least someone that you think can contribute in the late rounds um and you can trade your late round draft pick to get it uh you know you're 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 doing pretty well for yourself yeah uh so the other thing that i guess we we take out of this uh was the discussion tangentially about the cba Mickey, of all of us, you're probably the closest to that uh, in terms of following what's been going on there. What is your read? There's not been a lot in the public sphere. I guess Eric was Eric Miller that went on yeah. Sirius and and actually gave some, you know, broad details about what's going on. But uh, what's been? What are you hearing? What's what's what are the chances of uh, of their pl- of play being interrupted? Uh, well, I think I think the chances of a strike are are about fifty fifty probably shading a little bit towards a strike at this specific point. Um, and that's, you know, MLS has maintained strict radio silence. We asked Garth about that uh, today, about his thoughts. And he basically said they know absolutely nothing and won't know anything until moments before the deal is signed. Yeah. I don't um, know if I totally bought that, but sure. that is certain that is what he said for sure. And I mean, that's, that's their MLS front pol- front office policy is to not speak of, uh, CBA negotiations and so and that's the easiest way to say I'm not talking about it is I don't know about it <laughs> yeah exactly and so you're not going to hear anything from the uh, the MLS the management side and that was that's what happened last time um, even you know outlets MLS outlets like S- extra time radio I think they referenced it once during the entire negotiation saga and that was basically to say we we can't talk about it and so 
you're not going to hear anything about it, but you, I think you will get stuff from the Players Association. They're obviously much more free um, to discuss kind of at least the broad principles that they're looking for. Uh, hence, Eric Miller going on uh, Sirius yesterday to kind of talk about that. The uh, Players Association released uh, kind of that, you know, that, that hub of information about the priorities that they're looking for, which, you know, comes across as something of a PR offensive uh, to kind of garner public opinion on their side which I think they will have, but it's a question to me as to whether that really amounts to anything or whether MLS uh, management front office really care about that. And so at that point, even with, you know, front, uh, you know, with uh, PR pressure from the fans and what have you, uh, the owners really hold the cards here um, as the billionaires in this scenario. They're the ones that can afford to not have the season start on time. Uh, the players are the ones that are going to go without paychecks. And so uh, at that point, what we're talking about is what do the players want and what is the league willing to, to give them? And, you know, there's a couple of specific areas where the players probably will make season progress, but uh, you know, like free agency, uh, it's currently 28 and eight to, to qualify that, you know, those age and service level will probably go down a little bit. Everybody seems to agree that's, that's a reasonable way to go, but getting extra money, getting rid of Tam, which is something the players association absolutely wants to get rid of. They absolutely hate Tam and everything it stands for, uh, you know, it, you know, getting more transparency, getting some of the rules loosened. I haven't seen much indication that the league is, a, is, is inclined to do that. And if that's the case, then you're kind of at a loggerheads and you don't know where things are going to go from there. And then you had the report out yesterday from Sam Stachko of the athletic, which basically says that smaller market clubs are looking to restrict DP designated players even further. And that doesn't speak to a league that's willing that wants to increase investment. Um, that seems like a league that is concerned about its financial status going forward, especially with the uncertainty of a, uh, of a TV deal coming down the line, which is up in 2022. And that's kind of the, uh, as we all know, the Holy grail of, of, of money when it comes to, when it comes to sports leagues is the TV deal that you get. So I'm not optimistic at this point that there's going to get a de that a deal is going to get done before January 31st, when the, uh, when the CBA expires, of course, play doesn't start until the end of February. So that's not the real deadline deadline to get something done. So uh, it's probably right before CCL starts at the middle of February um, because the players aren't obligated to, to participate in the CCL without a CBA. Uh, and if, you know, that's probably where the pressure point really starts. But at this point, I'm not particularly optimistic that a deal is going to get done um, unless the players submit to the same pressure that happened last time around, which had them getting a deal done at the last minute with substantial pressure from the, from the, from the owners. You know, I, I can't help, but I saw Sam's story and the thing that jumped out to me is I don't get it. Like I, and, and it makes me actually kind of wonder who is floating that information out there and why they're floating that information out there. And it, it seems like a cry for help. Well, it's, it's maybe a cry for help. I or also no wonder if it's one of these things that the owners are going to throw out there as something that they can walk back from and say like, look, we're giving you this thing that you already had because like, who's really like, like it's, you know, you look at who is hurt by this and essentially the rule that was being floated is this idea that you couldn't have that 
you could have three unlimited DPs as long as one of them was 23 or under. And there are current, like two of the teams that have uh, big spending DPs right now are Atlanta and LAFC. They both have DPs who are under 23. They're unaffected by this. Uh, No, I don't think anyone in the league right now has three DPs who are all like over 23 uh the set or and making over the max amount and so the other thing that it was allowing is like okay you can have a third dp but that third dp would couldn't count more than the max salary cap or the max salary which is 1.5 million dollars yeah and so like the sounders three dps would currently qualify uh la galaxy don't even have three dps but theoretically they couldn't go out and sign three unlimited dps uh but even Toronto FC, you know, they were using the, the 2017 Toronto FC team as an example of a team that couldn't be assembled under this, but they don't currently have three DPs. To me, this reads like no one really wants this rule. I mean, I don't know who this rule is for. I don't you know. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really save you ultimately any money. It just puts weird, puts like weird, it's like a weird restrictor plate thing from NASCAR where it's like, well, we theoretically, we don't want people doing this thing that they weren't already doing like who is this for so i don't know i'm not i i'm a little skeptical the more i think about it that this is a real proposal and that it seems to me like maybe a little bit of game theory that someone at the mls office is going through and saying like hey we can walk back this proposal that we didn't really want anyway and and it will feel like the players got some sort of win but i i mean what do you think are what's the one issue if there's like last time the one issue ended up being free agency, everything else kind of fell into place for the most part. Uh, what is there one issue? Like, I know we've heard a lot of talk about Tam. We've heard a lot of talk about, uh, about, um, flights. We've heard, you know, various other things like that. Is there, do you get the sense that there is like a, like there is essentially like a last stand that players are going to make kind of like they made on free agency last time? Uh, I think it's Tam. I think it's uh, the whole uh, concept of TAM, uh, how the league uh, has implemented it, uh, how the league is governed over it. Uh, we have out here, obviously in Seattle, uh, a couple of players in Jovan Jones and Stephen Fry who talked about how the league quashed TAM proposals for them for various reasons. Uh, and so I think that is, that is their number one issue is to allow – uh, the players association to allow their players to have access to those TAM dollars or more, you know, what they would probably like more is uh, for TAM to just go away and the league to just raise the salary budget by a commensurate amount to whatever TAM is TAM is at. So that is, I think where that's where the, the players association is most likely to try to put their foot down. But I, again, I'm not, sh- you know, I think there's also been reporting that GMs don't particularly like dealing with the TAM mechanism uh, just because of the logistical headaches uh, involved in trying to, you know, calculate the salaries and what have you. So, uh, but the league really likes it. Number one, they think it's worked to bring a higher quality level of player in the league. Um, and number two, they are not likely to want to give up the control they have over determining who gets those dollars, even though, more U.S. players, domestic players, have had gotten access to that TAM in recent times. Uh, Miles Robinson and Paxton Pomichol, uh are two players who have signed TAM deals. So that TAM is Christian where I rolled see, on, I think. Jordan yeah, Roldan, Morris, Morris even, yeah, Jordan Morris as well, um, even though his contract, I think, goes up to 
over DP status or over TAM status at some point if if he reaches all incentives and they pick up all his options. So, but and the point still remains he's currently on a TAM deal. Yeah, um, and I that's that's a tough one for me. I mean, I on one hand I think it's almost undeniable, uh, and I think even the players would admit that the quality of the league has been driven upward by this TAM spending. Now, I guess the argument then is, well, can't we still have the benefit of the spending without all these very specific restrictions on it? And maybe the, the compromise is some sort of loosening of the way it's used. I, 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 and I know that the players have kind of talked in general about allocation money, but do you get the sense that they are against allocation money in general and they just kind of want it all in a straightforward salary cap? Or is there an acknowledgement that GAM is palpable even or palatable even if it's not preferable, but um, but TAM is just like a bridge too far for them? Uh, I would say I don't think – I haven't heard anything, uh, any real complaints about general allocation money because that can be used on anybody essentially. Right. Uh, so uh, I think it's really about uh, about the TAM of it all. And so I think that's where they're really going to – you know, put their foot down and, and, and fight as, as hard as they can. Uh, they want their players to have access to those dollars and let the teams determine how they want to spend it. Uh, and regardless of the type, you know, quote unquote type of player uh, that, that is negotiating for that, for that money. As far as the charter flight, I know there was a lot of chatter about the charter flight thing, but I, I can't help but feel like this is a reprise of the last, negotiations where there was a lot of noise made about charter flights but then at the end of the day it comes down to the owners saying look it's going to cost us 20 million dollars to fly everyone around the country on on uh charters either you can have charters you can have 20 million dollars <laughs> like are there player like are there players that are actually saying like no i would rather you fly you know, like i i mean i i understand the the allure of of charter flights but that still represents you know roughly seven hundred fifty eight hundred thousand dollars per team that's a significant chunk of the salary cap even if it's a eight million dollar salary cap, I mean, that's ten percent of the eight million dollar salary cap which would be itself a uh you know 70 or 80 percent increase on the current cap yeah this the charter flight uh issue I, it makes for good uh good copy uh, good sound bites because you get stories of flights being delayed, uh, players having to take buses to get to to get the various locations, and you know having to stay overnight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the but I think the players have other fish they'd want to fry ahead of ahead of charter flights, and that go that's everything I've heard from from players. They would rather have money in their pocket and deal with a middle seat from Columbus to to L.A. Uh, than they would ha have a charter flight. So I think if it comes down to it and the league says, yeah, we'll get, we'll make some modifications to TAM, we'll lower the free agency, but you can't have charter flights, uh, the Player Association is going to chuck charter flights. Say, right. It, yeah. <laughs> the charter flights just strike me as like one of those items that's like thrown out there as this, uh, like, we're going to put it on the list of demands and then that we can take it off. Like, kind of like this yeah. under 23 DP thing to me, yeah. it strikes me as like, We'll throw it out there and then we'll pull it off the table and it'll act and we'll feel like we made some sort of negotiation. Yeah. You know, like we're actually negotiating when we're really all, you know, just kind of swapping the same cards that we had before. I mean, this is to me where it's this is heading is it's like we're gonna get a potentially big increase in the salary cap. Maybe we 
get some uh, restrictions pulled off of Tam. Maybe Tam gets, you know, Tam. I can see Tam. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's like, I know that the owners love Tam. I yes. think the GMs probably hate it and the yes. players hate it even more. Yes. And, and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, Tam has kind of done its job, right? Like it brought in all these players and all of a sudden it opened, it opened like GMs and owners eyes to like, Hey, wait a minute. If we have 12 guys making right around a million dollars, that's way better than if we have four guys making $3 million. And, and that's kind of the equation um, that you're, you're having to do when you're looking at the way teams are spending. There's way more teams that are like getting smart about spreading money around and not just focusing on like two or three players. And then, you know, this whole stars and scrubs, uh, thing that was seemingly uh, coming into vogue before Tam uh, is now kind of out the window. I don't think anyone thinks you can win that way these days. Like all the top teams are really filling out their rosters with, you know, relatively, you know, over max level uh, players. And so I think the Sounders starting lineup was for MLS cup was essentially, you know, just all all Tam players. Right. Like Svensson, I guess was maybe one exception. Uh, I'm trying to think in my head who else would have been on. I mean, they, you know, I guess Svensson and Fry may have been the only two exceptions. And those are arguably two of the best players in the league at their position. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look and see what Fry's salary was. Svensson, he was, you know, he was very close to TAM level, if not. I mean, they're both high hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I think they're both like in the $350,000 level, but um, not quite over, I think it was 550-ish or something that they would have to do. But um, anyway, this all leads us into next week. We actually are going to have training camp, to, yes. assuming it doesn't get snowed out, um, which we haven't heard anything about alternate plans in case it snows. <laughs> um, Tim, I'm imagining that you are as excited as anyone to actually be able to have real soccer to talk about and not us just kind of talking about paper. Yeah, I mean – I am definitely happy to hear about the CBA. I just don't have a ton of information or no, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, very much looking forward to seeing soccer players kicking a soccer ball. <laughs> is there is there anything like I don't know, like we look at this, the centers have 20 players under contract. You know, one of them is Will Bruin, who uh isn't gonna be fully fit when training camp opens. Uh you know, they're not going to have Jordan Morris. They're not going to have Christian Roldan. You know, this is not – they're only going to probably have, you know, somewhere between 15 and 17 healthy players from the first team out at training for the first, you know, week or so. Uh, is there anything that you are hoping to see? Uh, I guess we have – there is this one rumor of uh, a Brazilian defensive midfielder named Gregory uh, – I'm sure that's not how you pronounce his name, but that's how we're going to pronounce it until we know otherwise – uh, but, uh, anything that you're looking at in, uh, you're looking anything in specifically you kind of want to see during that first week of training? Um, I think, you know, throughout training camp in its entirety, it's going to be interesting to watch the like Tacoma defiance and Academy guys who train with the first team. Um, the, you know, the guys who were in preseason last year seem like they were generally the guys who were in preseason the year before. They're going to be in preseason again. And um, last year, if you look 
just at the total numbers for the defiant season it wasn't much to get excited about but they really i think seemed to start gelling and playing like an actual team that knew each other in the second half of the season and you really saw guys like Shandon Hopio and Alfonso Campo Chavez really take their game to the next level. Uh, Azriel Gonzalez came back from a pretty bad injury sooner than they expected and really seemed to have taken his game to another, another level while he was in the gym during that injury. So I think seeing if those guys can continue to take steps forward, um, it's going to be pretty exciting. Sam Rogers, I think is, pretty up and down throughout his time with the organization, but really in the second half of the season seemed like he picked up a lot of confidence and with confidence played a lot more aggressively. And that's really when he's at his best, when he's sort of trusting himself to make the right decisions. And if he can keep growing from that, I, I know that his relationship with the Sounders is kind of a (laughs) particular one um, that I don't have any, real insight into but I think if he can demonstrate that he learned during his you know trial and with Edge last year and his time in the second half of the season with Defiance uh, if he can show that he's ready to take another step I think especially if they've got one center back on the roster they might <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a golden opportunity doesn't yeah. it give him a look out of desperation you never know what's going to happen um so i think yeah watching those younger guys is going to be pretty exciting yeah i think uh sam rogers is definitely the one to watch uh uh, for all the reasons that tim just just outlined there are multiple spots open at uh at his position uh the cba is is apparently preventing them from really making any moves to bring in any players of, of any real quality um and it's and it didn't it sound like largo legoway was Loggerway was kind of uh, throwing cold water on the hopes that Kim Kihi made. Yeah. So yeah. like he seemed to be very like this was by far the most um uh what's the right way to put eyebrow it? raising. Yeah. I mean he basically said like if he wanted to be back, he would be back by now kind of yeah. thing. And that uh, Nico kind of uh, Moreno kind of alluded to that uh in a in a tweet, just basically like, yeah, these this if he would be back by now if there was a chance that was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was kind of holding out some hope that this was a Harry Ship situation where uh, he had just not they had just not announced it, but that clearly is not the case. Yeah, I, I my confidence level in him being back is 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 diminishing by yes, the. Yes, I would totally. Uh, two days ago, I would have. I, in fact, last night I on a podcast said uh, that you know I held out some hope that he might be back, and I would say that my expectation of him being back went from maybe 60 40 in favor of him coming back to like 28 yeah uh that's that's kind of where i'm at so with that in mind rogers has a golden opportunity and uh as as tim pointed out his relationship with the front office is is, is up and down material yes. uh, you can use whatever uh, uh adjective you want to there but uh, he he came back and you know uh, got some time in the second half of the season. Uh, he's had an up and down overall tenure with the Sounders. I mean, not of all of it has been his fault. Uh, you know, just some unfortunate injuries and and what have you uh, have led to him not getting as much time as as I think we all hoped he would have uh, when he initially signed. Um, 
So if he's coming in with the right attitude, uh, he's got the physical tools, and uh, we'll we'll just wait and see. But he's certainly the one I'm looking forward the most to seeing uh, how he uh, how he performs in, in training because he's, de- he's got it all there in front of him. Yeah, it definitely seems like if anyone's set up to win a spot, it's it's Sam. And to the degree that you know, if he's not on a first team contract by late spring, by the end of the transfer window, hard to imagine him having a future with his team at this point. Yeah. Right. Like it's like, this is the time where it either happens or it doesn't. Uh, one other player who I wanted to pick your brain about Tim Blake Malone. Uh, he's someone who is a, I think a Bellevue high school uh, player. He was at our product. He went to UNC last year, uh, chose to, best I can tell he really wanted to go to college this was not like a situation where the Sounders were like no why don't you go to college uh but it the sense I got was like it was a player who was kind of dry he's like a, a real academic kind of minded kid and he wanted to go to college and uh the UNC opportunity presented itself and now he's with the U20s uh the U.S. national team U20s uh along with Marlon Vargas uh, do you know much about Blake Malone and and is he a player who could potentially even like earn himself a contract so i've seen blake play with the academy a little bit um he for his age is a good size guy but he's not huge um he's you know a pretty and i mean relatively speaking at the academy level like a pretty big physical presence as a center back um he center backs are a particular spot where it probably makes sense for a young guy to go to college and play a year or two, just the physical progression, especially going from like a, even if you're a big 17 or 18 year old playing against grown men, even if you're playing in the USL who are playing for their paycheck every day, um, it's definitely a pretty big ask where you can go to college. And even if the overall level of competition isn't as high, you're still getting to play against guys who are a year or two to four years or more older than you. That's a good sort of transitional period for that kind of player. Um, I think there's definitely a potential for him to end up on a deal with either the Sounders or Tacoma, uh, whether that's this year or next year is sort of tough to tell if he wanted to go to college for the specific goal of getting an education, it might make more sense to do two years where then he can go and play and come back and finish his degree once he's done playing. Um, I do sort of, Dave Clark and I went through recently and updated the uh, depth chart that he had kept for a while of the Sounders throughout their entire pipeline. and. Uh, going back through that, saw a couple names I hadn't really thought about, but Jackson Reagan uh, hmm. plays for the University of Michigan. He just, this past season was his junior year, so he's 20 or 21. Uh, definitely more of like a big physical presence. He's six foot five, 205 plus pounds. Um, oh, wow. Where, you know, Sam Rogers, definitely more in the vein of like Javier Arriaga or Kim Kihi where he's more of a ball playing guy he's going to be aggressive and winning the ball but he's not necessarily your big physical presence uh 
if they're looking for a guy that they already know, he didn't spend a ton of time with the academy. He just, I think, was there for a year maybe. Uh, but that could be someone that they look to to bring in and help fill out that center back depth. Um, Blake Malone might just personally not be ready for that. Yeah, that would be uh, – that, that is an interesting. I, it's not a name I, I'm not 100% sure I ever – uh, new, but that's a, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, anyone else that we, that maybe is not previously been on our radar? Uh, you know, we know the name Marlon Margus. I would imagine most people know, most people that are really closely following this probably know Danny Robles. Um, but anyone else that might be kind of coming in from, uh, you know, that, that fans might not necessarily recognize right away that shows up at training camp? Um, closer to home, playing at UW, Dylan Tevez, I think, just finished up his sophomore year at UW. Uh, he probably long-term fits more as like a Christian Roldan-esque number eight, but as Roldan seems want to do, uh, also gets pushed forward into the sort of attacking midfield line. Um, that tends to happen when guys goes to go to college and they're fast, capable of passing and, you know, have the technique to be dangerous. Uh, but he had a particularly good season this year. He put up one goal and eight assists, uh, which is more than one every other game. Uh, pretty good numbers. Um, he might be worth a look, not that they're, in desperate need of guys who play that position, but especially if one of Dellum or Svensson is going to get potentially pushed into a center back position, it might be useful to have another guy who can play in one of those pivot spots. Yeah. Well, that would be an interesting one. I don't know what the rules are for, for uh, college kids doing, I know that in the summer they're allowed to do some of this training where they go to, you know, like we had Kellen Rowe here in the summer one year, and I think they're allowed to train as far in the, as like, in the winter during the winter break or something like that. Yeah, I don't I, think there's any restrictions on that. Okay, well that will be that would be interesting to see if any of those guys are. I guess it would be easy for Tevez if he's at UW. He's probably still living. He, he's clearly living in the area. He's yeah. from from Renton and going to UW. Uh, all right, well that's that's probably a a good place to call this. Uh, we're going to know a lot more in the next week. You know, the Sounders had teased us a little bit before this call. They said they were wrapping up a call uh, yeah. to that they hope to have good news coming out of um, before the, the call with Garth today. But then Garth didn't seem to be in a great mood <laughs> in the call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a little short on some of his answers, that's for sure. So uh, apparently that good news is is not uh, so good. I mean, I don't want to read too much into it, but yeah. there was there was definitely some – sense that uh something good might be in the pike and i mean there wasn't a lot of good news in that in that call uh there wasn't bad news necessarily but there was some oh there was i guess kind of some uh, i would say it wasn't news. great it wasn't it great wasn't, there was no like overtly good news that's for sure uh there was nothing that he was dying to share it didn't look like so uh hopefully we get something positive uh soon and and i will say that this was the first time that garth was more 
openly frustrated, I think, with the state of the roster. Like, in the past when I've talked to him about the roster, he's kind of been like, eh, you know, we might maybe we'll, we'll show up to camp and this will be the 20 players that we have. Big deal. Like, we're, we'll be fine. And, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but this, I don't know, it did, like, he had a couple of things that he said that just felt like he's getting a little bit more frustrated. Like, he thought things were going to come together differently than, than maybe they have. Uh, but I don't I think, know, maybe that spurs him into action too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I'm, you know, it just kind of leads into my pessimism about uh, a potential work stoppage, just, just based on kind of the general thoughts of, uh, of, of Garth and just the lack of moves. I mean, yeah, other teams are making moves, but it's not really for players that the Sounders are in line for anyway. I mean, the Sounders aren't going to sign Chicharito or Alan Polito. Uh, and they're, you know, the minimum salary guys aren't guys you're worried about signing either. It's those guys in the middle. It's like, um, yeah, it's all those guys that are right on the verge of being TAM or DP. Yeah. Um, I mean, frankly, it's the kind of guys that, like, Portland, like, I'm a little surprised, not to, like, bag on our rivals, but, like, this Polish forward that the, that the Timbers are getting ready to sign, he seems to be, like, one of those players who would potentially be right on that fringe of being a TAMable player. Uh, but, I mean, at the same time, they're spending – I mean, they're spending $4 million supposedly on a transfer fee. So maybe that's just never, that's never going to pencil out as a TAM. But anyway. I mean, um, Portland are kind of like the guys that they've picked up aren't bad, but it is maybe an example of why Garth prefers to do his business in the right. summer. Yeah. So a little more expensive to pick guys up in the winter. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's fair. All right. Well, we'll uh, log off here. Um, I'm Jeremiah O'Shan, uh, signing off for Tim Foss and Mickey Turner. This is the Sound of Heart podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time.